The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Brutal Nation for the Friday episode. Yay! This is the podcast that's dedicated to lesser-known serial killers and acts of true crime. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right across from me is the one, the only, the Sasquatch looking, Tammy Underwood. You're only saying that because my hair's down right now. I haven't pulled it up yet. That is some fucking wild woman I was gonna hair. Say, yeah, well, because my hair's naturally has a natural wave to it, but when the weather's like it is today, I am like frizz central. That, I could tell, man. It looks like yeah. you're ready like those spears at people. I know. Or... Remember that one time I came over and I had just woken up and my hair was yeah. like everywhere. I said, you got five minutes and you're like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Not doing it. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. No, no. <laughs> All right, so I get today, too. I had yesterday. You did. <clears throat> and now I'm taking today. Ha ha. Well, so, I gave you this Friday because I have next Friday. Right. So this one here is actually, it, it was in the news a lot on the East Coast. Right. However, I had never heard of this dude until I started reading about him and watching. Some... Well, and it was in the news a lot way back when. Oh, okay. A lot of people don't even know who he is now. So we're going to do a guy by the name of Arthur Shawcross, a.k.a. Say... The Genesee River Killer. I was going to say, you're going to say it right this time? I did. <laughs> I almost tripped up on that. I was going to say, you're, you were saying it wrong all week. I, here's what's fucked up. I thought his name was Sawcross, mm-hmm. and I get this whole thing done, and then I start looking about, fuck my life. Well, and I kept telling you Shawcross. Every time you mentioned his name, you say Sawcross. I go, Shawcross? I thought you were just like And drunk. then you go, you go, uh-huh, and then you kept going. It's like. Yeah, that's a jet. They're they're taking off out of the airport. Oh, the military. Yeah. Okay. I was like, wait a minute. That's too low for an airplane. As we grow up and learn a lot of things about ourselves and our sexuality. Right? Gotcha. In normal life, sexuality is a great thing. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. It is a way for two people to show their affection for each other, as well as to share very intimate moments where they were both people can be vulnerable to each other. Right. It builds closeness as well as trust. Mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about the act of making love. That slow, smooth, passionate style. Little Barry White should be pa- playing in the background right now, I'm telling you. That we let's see, get it on. Let's get it on. <laughs> that we see in TV and on movies. I'm including that trust and closeness building when we have passionate sex kinky sex and of course fun sex i myself have been known to make jokes from time to time during time to oh during sex i was gonna say time to time oh yeah no i'll I'll crack jokes during sex serious oh (laughs) hell yeah before i go into the next part true story this is with ex-wife number three so no wonder she hates you we're we're (laughs) getting it on right and thank god she had a good sense of humor about this point in life um and we're getting it on well we're going at doggy style, right? And all of a sudden, I have to fart. <gasps> and I'm thinking to myself, don't fart, don't fart, don't fart, don't fart. And as soon as, I came, <laughs> as, soon as I came, it went, ah! <laughs> and she laughed. We fucking just cracked up. Oh, my gosh. You are crazy. I think the sex should be fun, passionate, and adventurous. I mean, oh, yeah. How are you going to know what you really like and what you, and, and what you don't like? What the fuck did I write here? I know. Scott is a total advocate for premarital sex. 100%. 
I mean, how are you going to know? How are you going to know what you will really like and what what will make you say, "Oh, hell no"? <laughs> yeah, or if you're even compatible. Yeah, exactly. I well, like- I told you when I first met you that I have a f- friend who he was. They didn't even kiss before they got married, and oh, yeah. I told. I told her, I said, let me kiss him. I'll let you know if he's good in bed. And she's just like, that is disgusting. I'm like, well, you know. <laughs> there you go, man. I mean, and that's what I've told my friends, too, because I've had friends that wanted to wait until they got married, but they still don't. How are you going to know? How are you going to fucking know? Like, what if you get into bed and all of a sudden it's like the worst sex ever? Well, I wasn't, I was very promiscuous growing up, but I didn't have sex with my husband before he got married. It's weird. I'm going to go on with this because that creeps me out. <laughs> so by now you're asking yourself, why the hell am I talking about the virtues of sex and lovemaking? Yeah, Scott. That's right. Why? So in today's epi- in today's story, we're going to take a closer look at Arthur Shawcross. Is that it right? See that? Good yeah, job. Yeah, ninja shit going on. And we'll see what can happen to someone who's been sexually abused from a young age. Mm-hmm. I want to add before we start that I don't condone what he did, nor do I even really like this guy at all. Because on his interviews, he's a dick. Oh, yeah. With that said, I kind of see why he did what he did. Mm, kind of. I write these, by the way, before I actually go in depth. Yeah, so, your intros. I usually read like peruse my research before I write my intro. Well, that's what I did. And I wrote my intro. Then I found his man shit. Anyway. Yeah. I'm going to warn y'all ahead of time on this guy. There are several accounts that have been written about his life. Mm-hmm. The stories vary depend on who's writing about him. True. I'll try to do my best to point, uh, my best to point out some of the confusing parts of this story. So ladies, grab your strap ons. Guys, bite the pillow, because we're going to go in hard with no lube. Huh? What? What the hell is wrong with me? We're going to go in deep, okay, and I want to go deeper. <laughs> <laughs> Early You're life. So disgusting. Arthur was born in Kittry, Maine on May 6th of 1945. Mm-hmm. He and his family moved to Watertown, New York, uh, when he was still pretty young. And we're, isn't Watertown North? That's, yeah, okay. up, upstate New York. That's what I thought. He was the oldest of four children born to Arthur Roy and Elizabeth Shawcross. Okay. According to a few sources, he was given several IQ tests and showed a very li- a low IQ, around 85. Uh, yeah, I could tell that from his interviews. <laughs> yeah, not the sharpest pencil in yeah. the box. Arthur claims that he was introduced uh, to sex when he was around seven years old. Oh, wow. He claims it was his Aunt Tina who, who had him perform oral sex on her. Wow. This went on for several years as he grew up. Uh, okay. And that would end up being his preferred method of sex is giving and receiving oral. Oh. He also claimed that his mother sodomized him when he was a young child with a broomstick. Ew. We'll get there. Hold on. No, I mean, I was thinking Bonin. <clears throat> in another article that I read, it was said that he was shoved into a car and forced at knife point to give his abductor, who was male, oral sex. And when he did, when he did not get off, get the guy off. Wow. Um, his abductor sodomized him. Yet another wow. article 
has Arthur telling a story about giving the neighbor girl oral sex and getting caught by her brother, who said that he would tell their parents unless Arthur gave him oral sex as well. Okay, got caught by the brother. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well. These are all fucking from Arthur. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's why I said a lot of this is confusing as shit. And I'm going to try well, to make it yeah. And then you got to kind of believe that maybe some of it isn't even true. Oh, no. It, that, I know. Yeah. You'll get into it. I know. Um, in an interview that I saw with Arthur, he had said that his mother forced him to have sex with her when he was around 14 years old. And after getting it over with, he ran away. He claims that she would give him oral sex all the time. In articles that I've read about his mother, she denies have ever done this. I want to add that there's no evidence that he was ever molested. Right. Now, I want to point this out. If you have a broom handle shoved up your butthole. Uh, yeah, young, you're going to have scarring. Even at a young age. Yeah. As an adult, you're still going to have scarring. Oh, Totally. Totally. I want to add that there's a rule. Okay. It, it's also noted, noted by one of the psychologists that interviewed him that he didn't even get the name of his aunt correct. Oh, wow. He doesn't have an Aunt Tina. Oh, dear God. It is un, it's unknown What's to What's her name? Did I, it say? I didn't say. Oh. It's unknown to me if he even has an aunt by the name of Tina. I was not able to find that out. Wow. By the time he was in ninth grade, he dropped out of school altogether. And when he was between 17 and 19, it varies from story to story, he joined the army. When he got out of the army, he'd tell stories about stringing Mama-san up and decapitating these Vietnamese women, um, as well as stories about him being in combat. He would go on about uh, doing horrible things to the enemy and describe grotesque things that he did. The truth was... He didn't see any combat. He was a supply clerk. Wow. That's like my dad. No. (laughs) And although there were a few articles written about him that claimed that he dropped supplies to our troops in the field and saw some combat, but he never participated. uh, Wow. From what I could tell. In an interview, he had said that the two Vietnamese women that he killed were hookers. He claims that the hookers in Vietnam would use tubes. Vietnam. With, yeah, with tubes <laughs> with razor blades in them. Uh, they put them up in, in, inside their vaginas so that American soldiers would shred their penises. That is the them. only time I have ever heard that. I'd heard that I was going to say, I've heard a lot of stories about Vietnam, and I've never I'd heard, heard that. that. I think I'd heard something like that. Anyway, him and another soldier got uh, two hookers. Okay. It just said hooks, uh, hookers. And when they checked them out, they found the, uh, that both of them had the razor tubes in their vaginas. Uh, that's where the story of killing the two women while he served in Vietnam comes from. Is it true? Not sure. I doubt it, but I'm not sure. <laughs> right. After serving his time in the Army, Arthur Shaw Cross returned to Watertown, New York to live. He married Sarah Chatterton, and they had a child together. He would marry four more times as time went on. Shut up. About him being married four more times. I know. It's like you. She's over there by your couch. 
While in Watertown, he became friends uh, with a family of a 10-year-old boy named Jake Blake. Okay. Oftentimes, uh, you know, uh, he'd be out there fishing. Jake Blake would come up and try to talk to him. And it, it kind of varies. I've read some that said they became friends with the family and others that he that Jake had found him while he was out there fishing. And Arthur's like, get the fuck away from me, kid. Wow. So that one varies, too. So, in May of 1972, however, Shawcross murdered this little boy. Wow. There was evidence that he was also sexually assaulted. I may have missed something. Hold on one second. Okay, his body wouldn't be found until four months. Okay, yeah. I have to, sorry, guys, I have to correct this because apparently I can't spell his body wouldn't be found until four months later, though, after he had raped and killed an eight-year-old girl by the name of Karen Ann Hill. Wow. Shawcross confessed to both of the murders, uh, with the plea, but he got a plea bargain on it by confessing. He would not be charged with the murder of Jake Blank and would plead guilty to manslaughter in the case of Karen Ann Hill. Wow. Shawcross took the deal and was given a maximum sentence of 25 years of which he served 15, and then he was released. And the community of Watertown was pissed. I would have been. Oh, yeah. I'd have been livid. You know, uh, they, they were pissed that he got such a light sentence, and, yeah, they were, they were pretty horked off, right? Yeah. And in one report that I read, Shawcross had stuffed the uh, little Karen Ann Hill's mouth full of mud and dirt to keep her quiet as he raped and killed her. After being released, Shawcross moved around a lot because he kept getting ran out from town to town. <laughs> he keeps moving to these small towns. And they're right. like, we know who you are, motherfucker. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. And, you know. So after about a year of moving around, he finally. Uh, okay. Anyway, he ended up in Rochester, New York. And Rochester's a, a larger city. Right. It's also an upstate, by the way. Right. So, being a, being a larger city, of course, it has a red light district where the hookers work. Yeah, makes sense, right? And it was seen. <laughs> that's why I was thinking, you don't have to put on a red light. It seemed like Shawcross wasted no time in returning to his old ways of killing them. Wow. It was less than one year after his release that he began killing again. This time, his victims would be those that everyone considers throwaway people. He targeted mostly hookers, although there was one homeless woman and one woman that he was having an affair with that he strangled to death. Wow. So before we go on, I need to give credit to the Rochester Police Department. In every single episode that we've done, uh, I've commented that the police department of which the murders occurred didn't seem to really care about catching someone who was just killing hookers or, right. quote, throwaway people. Right. The Rochester Police Department seemed to get it to get right on solving this case when the second or third body showed up. They wow. knew they had a serial Good killer. Good for them. And they're like, we're calling in the FBI. Let's get this fucking shit done. Good for them. Yeah, so to, I don't say a lot of nice things about, well, upstate New York's not too bad, but uh, I don't like New York City at all. Right. But for Rochester Police, guys... Fucking kick-ass job on that. Well, and 
we we ran across that once with Charles Albright. Remember after the first murder, and they realized the eyeballs were missing. He oh, immediately yeah. called the FBI. So I mean, it does happen, but not very often. Not very often, mm-hmm. man. But I like to give credit where credit's due. That's right. On March third of nineteen eighty-eight, a body was found by two fishermen uh, on the Genesee River. The body was that of a well-known hooker named Dorothy Blackburn. She was okay. known to be really a really tough hooker on the street. This is a woman that would fucking just beat your fucking ass. No, you got she cut a bitch, huh? She cut a bitch, man. I don't need no man. <laughs> and she worked on Lyle Avenue in Rochester, New York, and that's their red light district, apparently. Okay. Shortly after the discovery of Dorothy's body, a hunter came across the skeletal remains that he thought was a deer. That was until he saw some clothes. After the skeleton was sent to a pathology lab, the face uh, was reconstructed and a composite was released to the news outlets. Uh, outlets. Uh. Outlet. God damn. Does that need water? And shown on TV in an attempt to find out who this woman was. The skeleton belonged to Anna Stefan. Stefan. S-T-E-M. Yeah, Stefan. Her father saw the composite on the news and, and called in to ID her. Wow. There's a story about the homeless lady that I also found uh, by the name of Dorothy Keeler that was found on October 21st of 89. Okay. In an interview that I saw with Shawcross, he said that he'd hired her to clean his apartment that he shared with his wife. And he went on to say that Dorothy had stolen from his apartment, and that's why he killed her. Okay. That's a valid reason. Yeah, hey, why not? You know, sometimes you got to kill a bitch. <clears throat> Be still in my M&M's, motherfucker. I'll shank you. <laughs> Don't lay a finger on my butterfinger, bitch. <laughs> my butterfinger's in my pants. <laughs> oh, God. You're so disgusting. About six weeks later, the body of Patty Ives was found. Once again, on the Genesee River. You see a connection why they call him the Genesee River Killer? Yeah? Okay. It was yeah. at this point that the uh, police knew that they had a serial killer at work. Victim, was she three? I uh, think she was three, maybe four. Oh, okay. This is because all the victims had died by strangulation. So they call up the feds, the FBI, to help them catch the killer. The police went to the red light district to, in Rochester to warn the hookers that someone was killing hookers. Okay. But it was like business as usual there. They're like, we don't fucking care. Fuck all of you. Then there was the body of June Stott. Her body was found along the bank of the Genesee River as well. Her body was a little different, though. Although she had been strangled like the other victims, her body had been mutilated post-mortem. She had been sliced open from chest to vagina and, evis- and eviscerated as well. Ew, why? She so had the strangulation plus the evisceration and the mutilation. That's a huge escalation. Oh, yeah. Huge. I mean, like, he missed a little bit in between there. He didn't miss that, and you'll see why. Oh, okay. Gotcha. (laughs) They started building a profile on the killer. They noted that all the bodies uh, had been found around the same location. You know, the Genesee River. And according to the FBI as well, as uh, what whatever. What we have read ourselves when researching serial killers, a serial killer would choose a dumping ground that they're fami- that's familiar to him or her. Mm-hmm. And that's most of the time. Right. 
And that's yeah, I wrote that because that's what you and I do know. Right, that, and it's usually right outside of where they live, or where they frequent a lot. Right, and uh, numbnuts here. Uh, Dick cheese, <laughs> douche canoe. Oh, okay, that one works too. <laughs> I, I don't have bad enough words to say about this guy for killing the two fucking kids, and then yeah, I mean, and raping the little. Well, girl. yeah, and then later, his bullshit. Yeah, I'd like to step on his fucking throat, but he's dead anyway. Yeah, pretty much. Something. Um, trying to mark myself in. But yeah, we, we've seen that time and time again. People find places that are familiar to them, whether it's uh, like Patrick Kearney. Right. He was familiar with the freeways. Right, exactly. Garbage bags full of body parts, laundry. And Kearney was, uh, uh, Kraft was the same way, and so was Bonin. Oh, yeah. Almost every single one we've covered was. Yeah, we. Almost. You, you find a, a familiar dumping ground. It's normally an area that they know very well and that uh, they're, they feel comfortable in. Right. This told the FBI and the state police that they were looking for someone who probably hunts or fishes along the Genesee River uh, a lot and knows the area, which we just said. Right. By December of 1984, four more women went missing. And one of those women is Darlene Trippy. The police started using a helicopter to try to find miss the missing girls along the Genesee River because they know they're finding bodies there, right? Right. <laughs> well, it was there that they saw her body in the river near the bridge. And from what I could see from the pictures, it looked like she was kind of like um, under the ice that had formed on the river. Oh, she was under the ice? Yeah. It was like a layer of I looked like a layer of so ice. So he had dumped her and the ice had formed over her. Pretty quick, yeah. Well, it's a running river in right. like upstate New York. It gets fucking I know, but usually cold. running rivers don't form ice that yeah, quickly. On the banks. Oh, oh, okay. On the banks. Gotcha. I hear you now. Um, I lost my spot again. Ah. There we go. The police also saw something else, though. They saw a gray Chevy car parked along the roadway right above mm-hmm. where the body was, and there was someone standing outside of the car. So the driver saw the helicopter, got in the passenger side of the car, closed the door, and they drove off. Well, the police radioed. That's odd. <laughs> yeah. They radioed their support team and had the car followed. They followed the car to Wedgwood Nursing Home. No, it's not one of my girlfriends. In the nursing home. No, no. I was just thinking, if he would have just gotten in the driver's seat, he could have said he stopped to pee. Actually, that's exactly what he said. Oh, <laughs> Don't skip ahead okay, there the you story. go. Sorry. You do it to me all the time. I know. They saw the driver get out and go inside, and the police went in to talk to the driver. Mm-hmm. This is where they met Arthur Shawcross. At this point, they really didn't have anything to connect Shawcross with any of the killings, but they did have some questions for him. And when they asked him why he stopped on the side of the road, Shawcross said he needed to pee. Go valid figure, reason, though. Just fucking said that. I was gonna say it's a valid reason, and it makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. I, dude, I pull off to the side of the road all the time and take a fucking piss. I know. <clears throat> and anyway, Shawcross was more than willing to talk to him. Okay. And if you watch his interviews, you'll see why he loves to be. Oh yeah, I saw that one on Netflix. He's the proud. confessions, the uh, interview with the serial killers. He's the name proud of it. Proud of what the fuck? Oh, he totally. Did. But then he's a dick, too. I will not talk about that. Yep. So at this point, they, they, they didn't place him under arrest or anything, but they asked him to go uh, down to the police barracks um, uh, so that they were out of earshot of other people. Okay. 
Well, according to Detective Dennis Blythe, Shawcross was calm, cooperative, and he even signed a release form for the police to search his car, uh, the car that he was driving, as well as where he was living. He okay. Shit. When the police ran his name, however, <clears throat> his past convictions were revealed to them. Oh, yeah. Completely. Uh, they were like, oh, wait a minute. You're a child killer, you fuck. <laughs> yeah. That's not the first time you've murdered somebody. Well, they saw charges for robbery, burglary, arson, and of course they saw that he had spent time in prison for manslaughter when it came back to the two kids that I mentioned earlier. According to Detective Blythe, Shawcross tried to portray himself as being sorry and regretful for the killing of two kids in Watertown, New York. This, I believe myself, was an act and a lie, and you'll find out why later. They still didn't have any evidence to connect Shawcross to the murders of the hookers that they found on the Genesee River. So they tried to get as much voluntary information from him as possible. They kept talking to him for about eight hours. And in that time, they found out they liked to fish on the Genesee River. Oh, da, da, da. As Shawcross kept talking... He started to disclose the specific places where he liked to fish. Fish, and in most of those places that Shawcross fished, they had well, found a dead body. I was going to say right where they found a body, huh? Amazing. He can't huh? even fucking lie about it. Right next to the oak tree, you know the one that says "I heart Stacy." The huh? We found a fucking body there. You and know, next to this bridge that has a one four three on it. Huh? We found a body there. That's weird, isn't that? Huh? Yeah. The car that he was driving belonged to Shawcross's mistress, a woman by the name of Clara Neal, and she worked at Wedgwood Nursing Home. Okay, I was wondering why he went to the nursing home. Thank you. There you go. See, I didn't ask. I waited. So at the t- same time, he was married to his fourth wife, a woman by the name of Rose. A little bit about Rose before I go on. Rose and- so he was married to this chick named Rose and had a girlfriend who worked at the nursing home. You got it. Okay, I wanted to be clear. Rose and Arthur met while he was still in prison for manslaughter, the manslaughter charges that he received for killing the kids in Watertown. According to Shawcross, he was writing to young ladies, and they would introduce him to their mothers. That's how he met Rose. I believe that Rose was a tool that he used to get paroled with only serving 15 years out of the possible 25, and I'll explain why. As I understand it, the prison system in New York at the time had a criteria for getting paroled. One of the criteria is that you need to have a place to live and someone to help you find a job. Okay. It sounded to me like it sounded to me like like it was almost like she was his sponsor. Okay. And Rose filled those needs perfectly. And he got released early. Okay. Shortly after his release, they were married. Shawcross got angry when the police asked him if he visited any hookers. Shawcross at, uh, adamantly denied ever being with a hooker in his life. Now you see why I don't I, his credibility is going down? Yeah. Yeah. He's bullshit. Anyway, this would also turn out to be a lie. After eight hours of talking to him, they took him home. Nothing. <coughs> They had nothing, no evidence. Can't hold an innocent man. They began to show his picture to the girls who worked on Lyle Avenue and a girl who, uh, and one girl who knew who he was. Okay. 
She said that she knew him as Mitch, and he was a regular customer. The following day, after uh, the hooker ID'd him, the police met Shawcross on the street to ask him some more questions. They took him in their car to the area where the hooker said that they had had sex. Shawcross admitted to being with the hooker at that spot. Uh, they also told him that the hooker was cooperating with him and said that, that she saw him with the victim that they found, who was named uh, another one of his victims, which was Elizabeth Gibson. Elizabeth's body was found just a few weeks earlier by a hunter. Okay. He said that he had, he had forgotten and that it was only a one-time thing with this Elizabeth chick, right? They okay. They've been with one hooker one time. The police knew that, that they had caught him in a lie. They drove him to the police barracks. Uh, and on the way to the police barracks, they're pointing out to Shawcross. What did I miss? Huh? Uh, where he had picked up, uh, picked up the hooker uh, that he, quote, forgot about. And said that they knew a lot more information about him. When they got to the barracks, they turned up the heat on Shawcross. And after only 30 minutes, he admitted to killing Elizabeth Gibson. Okay. It was about four hours later when they showed Shawcross the earring that they had found in his car. The earring belonged to another victim. Then the police started asking if his wife Rose or his mistress Claire were involved. That's when he gave up and admitted that he killed several women. The police gave him a stack of photos as Shawcross went through them like they were playing cards, sorting out victims, uh, his victims from the pictures. <laughs> In the end, there was 11 pictures in his pile, 11 victims. When the police asked him why he killed these women, Shawcross simply replied, I was taking care of business. According to the detectives who questioned Shawcross, he showed no remorse or feelings to have ever, to, that he killed these women. He didn't give a shit. The detectives went on to say that after Shawcross confessed, there was a sigh of relief of all the cops in the station uh, that, that this horrible thing was finally over. Okay. That relief, however, would be short-lived. Shawcross's story would be reported on the news. The citizens would find out that Shawcross had been released from prison after killing two children in Watertown. Everyone felt like his murders could have been prevented, and I agree with that. Shawc yeah. Shawcross was convicted of 11 murders, but the police suspect him in more. Shawcross died in, in, at the Albany Medical Center in Albany, New York, November 10th of 2008. Wow. And I wrote, okay, yeah, I got some ending thoughts, and then we'll talk about them. I watched a few interviews with Shawcross, and I have, I've come to my own conclusions about this guy. First thing is that I feel that he didn't really look at women as people. This includes his wife. I feel that he viewed women as things that serve a purpose, but nothing more than that. In one interview, he said that he felt no remorse for what, uh, for what he feels or for what he's done. And he feels, uh, yeah, no remorse yeah, or for how he feels. He doesn't, feel, he doesn't feel bad about feeling, not feeling anything about it. Right, totally. He, has, he doesn't have any remorse about what he's done. Right. It's like he makes excuses. Mm -hmm. It's everybody else's fault. Oh, we'll get to that one. 
it seemed to be easy for him to kill these women, strangle these women, uh, as it was for him just to get a glass of water. Okay. I get the feeling that his mind was, was, it was nothing out of the normal to kill a woman. I think that this has a few reasons behind it. The first one is to feel powerful and in control. And the next is that he enjoyed killing uh, those that he felt that were weaker than he was. Wow. I think that killing was a part of how he got off sexually as well. I see that. Mm-hmm. Thought I'd let that one sit in for a second. I was going to say, we've seen it. <laughs> the reason is, the reason why is I, I think that is because of the stories he made up about killing the hookers in Vietnam. Yeah. That is part of what led me to that. Anyway, in one interview, he told the reporter that he, he wouldn't talk about what happened in Watertown, New York. <laughs> yeah. That's where he killed the two young kids. Right. I think that I know why that is. Me too, but go ahead. And why he was so adamant about not talking about Watertown uh, to the point that he wouldn't even say the word Watertown. He simply said that other place. Yeah, I was going to say that's all he said about it. I don't want to talk about that other place. With the hookers, he could justify his actions. He was angry. He blacked out. He really didn't remember. On and on. In the case of the Watertown murders, he couldn't justify killing those kids, much less raping that little girl. Oh, you have a different theory than I do. But go ahead and cool. finish. I'll cool. give you my theory. Cool, cool. We're going to share that one. Yeah. What I saw at the interview was a guy with him was a guy who thought he was a superstar now. And that he was, con- he, now that he was a convicted serial killer. Like he's a superstar, right? right? Uh, I didn't see a man who was remorseful. Another thing that I got, another thing that got me was when he, was when he asked about his daughter, uh, this is the reporter, Shawcross simply said, yeah, she's cool. Almost like he was being cool um, himself or dismissive. Uh, when he was asked how he felt, if, uh, how he would feel if someone killed his grandkids, Shawcross stumbled. And after a pause, he said he would let the police take care of it. Uh, when put on the spot and asked again, and after a long pause, he said that he'd be mad. Uh, it was almost like he was trying to give the answer that would make him sound good. Right. I felt like he would not care one bit if someone killed his family. <clears throat> I don't believe that, that he has any real emotions. <clears throat> or at bare minimum, he has a limited emotional set. Right. In the end, I feel like this guy only cared about himself and the needs and, and his needs, and that everything and everyone else comes secondary to that. He married Claire after he was arrested for being a serial killer. I think that will, I think that was so that he can get conjugal visits with her. Al- right. Although I read in a few places that he had sexual difficulties for most of his life. Right. I feel that Claire served a purpose in that regard. Right. And that is my story on him. So give me your theory on it. On why he didn't want to talk about the children. Yep. Plain and simple. Men 
who target children in the penitentiary are considered lower than low. Um, they're called chomos, you know, and everything. And if he wanted to act like this big, tough um, convict as opposed to an inmate, then he would n- totally ignore the fact that he did that. I, I'm going to stick with what I said. Uh, but no, your theory makes sense. Yeah, he can't. He justified all the hookers. Like uh, one, he like he, he killed one of his mistresses, and I had mentioned that earlier. Right. And I remember him saying on the thing that uh, she had some kind of mental problem or something. So they had just finished having sex, and then she freaked out. And he just kind of blanked out or something like that, and he choked her to death. Right. And I can't remember which girl that was. Um, but there was always an excuse. Right. And with the kids... How the fuck, what excuse could you possibly have to kill the Hill Girl or Blake? Yeah. There's none. None. Right. What are you going to say? The kid freaked out? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. stupid. And why target children in the first place if, you know, and which was really weird to me too, because he killed these two children, but then when he gets out, he changes his. You know, his demographic, that, his victim it pool. It makes a little bit of sense to me, and I'll okay. tell you why. Number one, I was going to say, tell, explain, because it didn't I make sense to me. That's where I got that it makes him feel powerful. Right. The, the killing. But what has he learned by killing the two kids? He's learned that... People hunt, I mean, people... Will run you out of every town right. that you're in. That and they actually look for the killer. Right. Right. You know, so... Even though he's living in Rochester, if he goes back to killing kids, and kids are harder to get than adults. True. Um, everybody in this large city is going to hunt your ass down if you get out. Yeah, they'll run you out of town with pitchforks. <laughs> yeah. But if you're killing hookers, they're throwaway people. Right. And most police departments have proven that they don't give a shit if hookers are killed until somebody who's not a hooker right. is killed. True. Until you get Rochester, and they're like, oh, motherfucker, I don't think so. We're going to find this dickhead. Right? Not on my watch, bitch. That's exactly what they said. They said, yo, not on my watch, bitch. <laughs> yeah, completely. Right, guys, we're going to go find this asshole and kill him. Right? And uh, Completely. And yeah, and they, and they hunted him down. Yeah. I just saw somebody who was weak-willed, not in control of his own life. Yeah. Um, and a weak person. Yeah. That's what I saw. Like, totally, like, um, just a big old pussy. <laughs> that's, that's I, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, mm-hmm. that's what he was. He wanted to feel big and powerful, like he was important. Yeah. And he was nothing. Okay. I used to have a phrase when I was a teenager. You think you're cool, but you think you're a hot snot on a china platter, but you're really a cool booger on a paper plate. That's disgusting. All you the like that way though, around, right? Though. That is almost as good as I hear you chirping Big Bird. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite one. I, hear you I know. Big yeah, I, I but saw yeah. somebody who was uh, like, seriously, he tried to act all tough, but to me, honest to God, he was just another bitch. Oh, yeah. Basic bitch who had no importance whatsoever. Yeah. None. None, man. Yeah. He didn't even. You know, I mean, because look, he's supposed to be this big shot serial killer and nobody knows his name now. Yeah, nobody. But everybody still knows Kraft, Kearney and Bonin. Dude, everybody. Yeah, especially in California. And I especially know Kearney. I know you do. Jake, when he went to go check the mail, 
he met me because he was coming out of the bathroom. He said, check the mail. <sighs> no important letters for you. Knowing that I'm waiting for one from Kearney. I was going to say, you just mailed it the other I, day. I, I, dude, I, I just mailed it. I won't get nothing until next week. I know. At I'm, least. I'm, I'm yeah. waiting. I'm waiting myself. To yeah. Talk to Pat. <laughs> You're so funny. Are you have any questions on this one? No. Groovy. I have nothing with this one at all. All right. Remember, you can check out the website at www.twistedbluellc.com. Send us an email at brutalnation at twistedbluellc.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat that's on Medium, Vocal Media, and Hub Pages. And we're getting picked up by more and more places for further distribution for oh, our blog. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were just picked up by another publication just Two days ago, actually. Oh, sweet. Yeah. They notified me and said that uh, we could write for them now, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Because I, I, you and I never really discussed that in our, in our morning Well, no, because I totally spaced it off. You handled all that shit anyway. Yeah. So. I mean, you don't write for the pub. You don't write for our blog because you're too choppy and I wouldn't let you. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Fine. But yeah, Damn. so um, no, it. Yeah, we did just get picked up by another one. But that one we won't be doing a lot of our true crime blogs on because she had some trauma. The oh. editor had some trauma way back when. And so she's not really into true crime, but it, it's where we'll be posting some of our, our adjacent articles, like um, our paranormal ones and oh, okay, yeah, stuff like that. Groovy, groovy. So, and to let you guys know, the 100th episode's coming up pretty soon. We're going to be doing some giveaways. We are. Uh, We're trying to figure swag. out the giveaways right now. We're working so. on a contest, so I want you guys yeah. to keep this in mind. We're working on some contests, but yeah. of course. If you guys have listened to the episodes up to here, we're at the 95th episode. You know that I'm pretty fucked up. Yeah, and we'll announce the contest on the 100th episode. So it's going to so. be some weird contests. So don't be thinking, yeah. like, just enter your name to win. No. No. No, no, You'll no. have to do some stuff. You guys, You'll have to earn it. You guys are all going to have to be my monkeys. Okay? <laughs> oh, shit. Got to jump through some fucking hoops. <laughs> my flying monkeys. That's right. <laughs> Dude, that's what everybody calls my best friend. She's I just your like flying some monkey. quizzes and just some, some bizarre shit. Because, yeah. you know, let's make this shit fun. That's my thought. You are so crazy. All right, this show's copyright 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved, and we will talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.